Good morning. Is it nice outside? Whew. It is nice outside. My name is Clayton. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, today, I want to begin today a little bit differently. At least I have never done this before to start a service. Maybe we've done it before. I don't know. But before we do that, I want you to know where we're going. Uh, so we're in Mark chapter 10 today. We're being 35 to 51, I think we'll be reading. But there's a verse in the middle, and that's what today is all about. It's Mark 10, 45. So we're going to start there, and we're actually going to spend some time there. We're going to look at, there's two stories that bookend this single verse. We're going to look at those two stories. Jesus asked the same question two times, and the responses are very different. And they all have to do with verse 45. We're going to come back to 45 at the end. So it's kind of, I'm not sure what shape that is. It's six sides, right? What, what is that? Hexagon? Nope, that's eight. Six? Anyways, that shape. But to start today, um, I want to try something. So just, uh, we always have neighborhood conversations, right? Well, today we're going to have a conversation, but you're not going to talk to anybody sitting next to you, okay? So I, I get a sense, at least for myself and people that I know, that there's a growing desire, a hunger, maybe it's the fasting that we're doing, to hear from God. So you've heard it in many times in this room, I know that because I've heard it, that we don't, this is not a museum to a dead guy, right? We believe that the Lord is on the move. Our king has risen. He still speaks through his spirit. He's like Aslan, the lion which in the wardrobe. Aslan is on the move. Jesus is on the move. And so I think he wants to talk to us. And more people are wanting to hear from God. The world's kind of crazy right now. I don't know if you know that. What do we do? How do we live in relationship with each other? What do we think about what's going on around the world? God, help us. Can we hear from you? And so the Lord speaks in many different ways, right? You can find a ton of examples in here. Uh, he speaks in dreams, visions, through people, through his people. Um, you know, uh, funny story. Uh, we always want God to speak in like wild ways, right? So uh, my wife and I were trying to make a big decision. And so I'll just say one time, I went in the bathroom and I closed the door. I turned the shower on as hot as I could make it, fogged up the window, asked a question and just stood there waiting for God to write something on the mirror. He did not do that. <laughs> and someone later told me it might be a good thing because if God has to write something on a mirror for you to do it, I'm not sure if you want to do it. I said, that's a good point. So, but in this desire to hear more from God, I've been reading this book by this guy named Pete. And he says this, that by far the most important and most consistent way that God speaks is right here. He goes on to say that this is the language of the heart of God. The most important and most consistent way that God speaks to us because we all want to hear from him. You have, there's one in front of you right now. It's right here. He says this is the language of his heart. And a few weeks back we defined the heart, right? What is in our hearts? Jesus talks about how out of the overflow of the heart, we speak, we live, we act, everything comes from there. What, what, what is there? It's what we think. It's how we think. It's how we feel. And it's what we will. So if this is the heart of God, this is what he thinks. This is how he feels. And this is how, what his will is for us. So today our passage is called The Ransom. And it's one of those ones that if you've grown up in church, you know this one. If you haven't, you might be in better shape than most of us today. Because sometimes when you hear the same thing over and over, you kind of bring ideas and we, it gets a little muddled. And I think that if you believe in Jesus, you know this. But the longer you walk with Jesus, the deeper and deeper and deeper it goes. So there's always more here, but it's hard to understand. 
So what we're going to do today is we're going to read it three times at the beginning and three times at the end. I think that God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. So as I read, I'm going to pray. We're going to read one verse. We're just going to be quiet for a moment. Then I'm going to pray. We're going to read one verse. I'm going to be quiet for a moment. And then we're going to do it one more time. Okay? So I want you just to get comfortable. You can close your eyes if you want. You can open up your Bible if you want and look at it. It's Mark 10, 45. And we're just going to, I think, if this is his heart, I wonder if he has something he wants to share with you from his heart or something he wants you to know about his heart. So we're just going to linger, right? The first song, what did it say to do? To meditate on the word. Just, just linger. And I tend to read it really fast. One verse, all right? Mark 10, 45. Get comfortable. Let's hear from the Lord. Will you pray with me? So Father, we do believe that you speak. We do believe you have things to share, things you want to reveal to us about you and about us. So we ask in this time that you would do that. For even the Son of Man, it's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Over the coming minutes and time together, Holy Spirit, would you till the soil of this room, the soil of our hearts and our minds, so that your word, as it is scattered, would plant and go down deep. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So thank you for this gift, Father, the gift of your word, the gift of your heart. We pray that today your heart would fall on our hearts then we'd be different. Pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks. So we're gonna do it again at the end, just so you're ready, okay? So what I wanna do here is I wanna spend a little time on this verse, because I, I know that, we, I think that we know it. If you don't know it, that's fine too. I think we know it. But there's always more. That's the fun thing about God. There is just more, the more you learn. A really wise guy who's been doing this a lot longer than me says, the more I learn, the more there is to learn. That's really exciting to me. So I want to spend some time here. I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to work our way through it, okay? So verse 45. This is my one slide of the day, just so you know. This is it. This is it right here, all right? You're going to see it over and over. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come. Stop. Hold on a second. So he did not come. So that word implies that Jesus was somewhere else prior and that he came. So that's another one of those things that I don't understand, that somehow Jesus and God, God Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were they're outside of time. They made time, and they can move into time. That's hard to understand, right? That's beyond my mind. But he came, which means he came with a purpose, with an intention. He didn't just show up. There's something that he wanted to do. What did he want to do? He did not come to be served, but to serve. So you have talked about this before, and I talk about it a lot because it's just so striking to me. I've been reading this book, old book, called Humility. 
It's by a guy named Andrew Murray. And he talks a lot about how the war of, the war to end all wars, the war of the cosmos, the war for our hearts, the war for everything is between pride and humility. He says, pride is the source of every bad thing, every evil thing. Humility is the source of every single good thing. The problem for most of us, he says, is that we don't understand humility very well. We think that humility is kind of a bad thing. We think that to be humble means to uh, be self-deprecating. It's kind of self-loathing. You make yourself really small by saying bad things about yourself. That's humility. And, but that's, that's, not, that's not what it is. I actually read that actually the truly humble person is the most confident person in the room. Why? Because they don't need anyone else or anything else to validate them. They know who they are. They know whose they are. And because they know who they are, they know whose they are, they know what happened there, they can be like Jesus. And they don't think less of themselves. They think less about themselves. I don't have to serve me because I know who I am. I don't need those things. I can just serve you. So Jesus came with a purpose and intention, which was what? To show us what humility is. To say, this is the problem. It's pride. Pride of life. You find the very beginning, way to the left in Genesis. God's holding out on me. He doesn't have the the best for me. Yes, he does. That's pride. Jesus said, I have to come and actually show you how it works. How does he show us how that works? And to give his life as a ransom for many. So the word ransom there is, uh, you know, I think of like the movie, I, I, I said this to somebody, they said like Mel Gibson, right? Where he screams, give me back my son! You know, Mel, ransom, the ransom. Someone's taken and then you have to pay money to get them back and that's kind of what it is, right? A ransom is paid to somebody who uh, is a, a prisoner of war, uh, someone who's deeply in debt, um, someone who's in a situation that they can't get themselves out of. That's when a ransom is required, and the ransom has to match the value of the person or thing that needs to be freed. So I did some digging. Um, we've been trying to quantify what a person's worth, right? And I, different numbers. Uh, I found anywhere for $1 million to $10 million. Uh, that could be wrong. I said there's a lot of different things out there. But I was just thinking, let's just say that's right. Last service I asked, how many people live on earth? Someone said 7.2 billion. I don't know if that's right or not. Anyways, let's just say it's $10 million a person. 7.2 billion people. And there's been a whole bunch of people. That is, that's a huge payment, even by our standards, right? If that's where you value a person. Why is the payment so large? I mean, why, why a life? Like, why, why such a, a grand payment? As you said, give his life as the ransom. Why can't he say just, it's okay, just forget about it? Wouldn't that be the nice thing to do? It's okay. Well, Tim Keller in his book says, because evil cannot be overlooked. I think we can all get that. Something that is evil, something that is truly harmful, truly painful, I can't overlook that. It's got to be paid for. Someone has to pay for that. So it's a huge payment. Jesus came to make a huge payment. This is where the hard part gets, because it's for us. For, instead of, he substituted himself. The payment was himself for many. So we all need the payment. Which is where I think it gets a little tricky. Because I, I can see some things and think, yeah, man, they need a payment, Right? 
I'm, I'm, I'm not bad. I'm all right. I do some things. I'm pretty selfish sometimes, but I also do some nice things. So to, to, it's a hard thing to grasp. A payment of that magnitude, do you, think someone, do, you, do you think someone should have to die for you? Imagine dying for someone. That's a pretty grand payment. So I think we know this. I know this. But I think the more that it becomes less in my head and becomes more in my heart, becomes more as I understand how he thinks, how he feels, his will, it, it just changes, it just gets, it goes deeper. And we change more and more and more. So when does someone need to be ransomed? Let's just talk about this a little longer before we move on. You're in the worst situation imaginable, right? You cannot get yourself out. There's nothing you can do. Um, maybe you're in, let's not go that way. All right, you're in a bad situation. When someone makes the payment, what happens? Just think about any movie you've seen about ransom or a, person, a prisoner of war. What do they get to do after it gets paid? They get to go home. That made sense to me. You get to go home. And who's home? It's the people you love. It's the people who love you. So when a ransom is paid, even in our world, you get to return to the relationships that give you life. The people who encourage you, love you, maybe the people who paid for you, I don't know. You get to go home. I recognize that home, and you think about it for a minute though, because home is not necessarily a good place for everyone. Maybe your home, your actual home was not a good, was, was, was not, it's not where you would want to go. But we all have people who love us. Right? So for me right now, my, my home is wherever my, my three ladies are. Put me with them and I am good. That's their, those are my favorite relationships. That's my home. Growing up, it was wherever my mom was, my dad was, and my three brothers were. Until every brother came home, we weren't home. It's this place where relationships are restored. And last week, was it? what's the greatest commandment? You love God and you love people. He came to restore relationships. He came to bring us home. So I'm gonna keep coming at this a little bit from different examples because it's just trying to, I hope it lands somewhere. Tim Keller in his book talking about this ransom and what it means, use parenting as his example. And I know we're not all parents, but everyone has at least been parented, right? So we have some common ground around parenting. And so his example is, if you're a parent, you would know this, right? Currently have little ones right now. He is, in his book, he says, you just, you read and you read and you read and you read. The, about the pigeon or about Pete the cat or Dr. Seuss, the same books over and over and over because you know it's important to, to develop their minds and develop their, their uh, communication skills, different things. So you, you sacrifice what you want to do, what you hope to do to help these little people learn how to be people. So like in my house right now, we're counting everything. We count literally everything. My youngest dad says, Daddy, 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 what is 65, 78, 300, 212, 744? What number is that? Uh, I don't know. We, we, we're just counting, 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 or we're spelling things over and over and over again. How do you spell whale? Well, we worked through it. W, A, no, there's, there's an H in the middle. I don't know why there's an H in the middle. A teacher will tell you that later. I don't know. But it's just constant, and you're realizing, so you're investing over and over and over. Why do you do that for your little people? Because you love them. 
you sacrifice because you love. I'll never forget it. Kelly and I were just married, and a pastor was speaking at a conference about being a parent. And I was like, well, we're going to need to know this someday. And uh, he said, as they parent, the rule they have in their mind, one, they have two rules. One of them, I forgot the other one. The other, second one was we parent in a way that we want our children to want to come home when they don't have to. We want them to know that there's lots of stuff. I'm, my kids are little. There's lots of things to deal with, lots of hard things to deal with. But we, our idea in our mind is we want to love them, parent them in such a way that when they don't have to come home, they want to come home. Which makes a lot of sense to me when it comes to this passage. Love. Tim Keller says that all true love is, is sacrificial. All life-giving love is sacrificial. So the flip side, though, let's say, so that is your goal as a parent. Well, what if, what if that's not what happens? What if the child knows that other things are always more important? What if jobs are more important? What if people are more important? What if, you name it, what kind of child do you get? A child who does not want to come home. So Jesus came to make a payment to love as a payment for you for me so we would want to come home. That registers for me. I don't know if it does for you. So let's look around, around that verse. So that was 1045. And we're gonna look at these two verses around it and come back, okay? So we're just gonna read through it together. So it's uh, chapter 10, um, verse 35. I had something about it. Oh, I'm just always curious. So there must be a reason why these stories are here, right? John says that if we wrote down everything that Jesus did, there would not be enough pages to tell all the stories, right? So there's a whole bunch of things that the writers with the Holy Spirit could share, but he chose to share this. I'm like, well, why would he share these things? I think because the sentence, what Jesus came to do, we have a stark contrast. We have someone who doesn't get it and someone who does. I think we have someone who's bound up with pride and one who's just at a place of humility, right? So 1035, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want to, you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, if that's me, what would you say? I don't think so. I've already said no in my mind. There's no way. Do whatever I want. That's a bad idea. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm not going to do it. But Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Man, he is so kind. They reply, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. So Jesus has been predicting his death. He's been saying this is going to happen. They've been hearing it, but they're also seeing all these other things. So I think they're like, I think, I think something great's going to happen. It'd be really great if we were in charge, right? James and John, these two brothers, they're smart. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? It's a lot of baptisms. So cup, judgment, baptism, immersed. It's not what we're thinking of, just you're immersed in judgment. We can, they say. Jesus says to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to, to those for whom they have been prepared. When is Jesus' moment of glory? Is there someone to the right and the left? You don't know what you're asking. 
But if you're going to follow me, you, you're going to have to know. When the ten heard about this, this, is not ha- this has happened before, they become indignant with James and John. So Jesus calls them together. So you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become the greatest among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. One of the commentaries I wrote said that Jesus was, he was helping them remember a story that they knew. It's one we've talked about. It was in Jeremiah 29. When the people of God are exiled, the Lord gives them over to what they do what they want to do. He says, you can just go ahead and do that and reap the, benefit, or reap, reap, reap the consequences. They get exiled through their noses. People die. It's ugly. It's terrible. And when they get there, what did God tell them to do? I wrote it down. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I've been thinking about that. So he's saying, James, now you don't get it. You're going to have to do some things that are super hard. It's going to run counter to everyone else. People in that group became part of the government, and they sought the peace of the city through the government. But he said, but you have to be for people. Like we did before, you got to pray for your leaders. You have to pray for wisdom. You have to encourage. You have to, that's a hard thing today. So that's what I want you to do. So you have the first group who doesn't get it. They're thinking about, man, how do I advance pride, the pride of life? Other side, there's another group. Verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man. In Matthew's gospel, there's two blind men. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, told him to be quiet. He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. What's the key to understanding the ransom? To understanding what Jesus did. We need mercy. When he said, have mercy, tons of people. Mercy stopped. And he responded to the one who said, I need you. He's blind. He's probably without relationships. I don't know what his life is even like. And he just says, what do, you want me to, what do you want me to do for you? Same question. I just want to see. Right? Go. Your faith and your response has healed you. So I think we don't like to ask for mercy because we think it's a sign of weakness. And we think we can figure it out ourselves. And we seem to think somehow it causes, uh, we don't like the word sin a lot, right? We don't want people to tell us that we're sinners. We can fix things. We can keep moving forward. We'll get better. You know, like we're not that bad. Like God, God made us good. He did make us good. He did. He says that at the very beginning. Something got off. So there's some really, we're still his, his image bearers, right? Some good things. But something is off. So when we say mercy, it's not, it's not meant to shame. It's not meant to, to make you feel bad about yourself. It's just you actually become super free. 
The honest person, the humble person is honest about themselves. I need mercy. I read a guy, he was uh, doing a sermon on confession. And he said, when you go to a doctor, do you go to the doctor and say, I'm, I'm hurting here. Fix me. No. He says, where are you hurting? Here. When? At this time. Did you eat some food before? They, tons of questions to get to the root cause of whatever is causing the pain. And once you find out the root cause, what can they do? Heal you. So, to me, it seems like a hard passage. It seems kind of condemning, but it's not. It's actually, there's so much freedom. He came as a ransom. We need ransom. All of us need ransom. And it is a beautiful thing. Mercy. Help me today. I don't know how to love people. I don't know what to say to them. I have no idea what happens to them today. What should I say? Okay, ask. Okay, Holy Spirit, I'm go with you. Mercy, I need help. It's so freeing. It's so good. You don't have to figure it out yourself. You don't have to get all the things right. We work on those things, but we can ask for help. Mercy. The Lord wants to bring us home. He wants to restore relationships. We ask for mercy. We then can show mercy. What happens? Restore relationships. Two stories to close. Um, the first one. One is about ransom. The other is about mercy. Okay? There's a man named Father Maximilian Colby. Haven't ever heard the story? World War II. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he is in a concentration camp. And the person in charge, uh, some prisoners tried to escape. And so he says, to make an example, right, we're going to starve 10 people. So he just randomly picks 10. When he picks one of them, the man just breaks down in tears. Because he has little kids. He has a family. And he's about to be ripped away from his family. So he just breaks down. Father Colby steps up and says, I want his place. Guard says, I don't care. Fine. So he does. He goes in. They say he encouraged those inside. Somehow over a two-week period, they're being starved. Ten people, three come out. Perhaps because of his encouragement. But they come out to be gassed and burned. But what happened in the camp, according to people who were there, was that his decision to sacrifice in that way caused hope to spread through the whole camp. And people hung on who didn't think they could hang on because they saw hope. One guy said it was the best of humanity. I would disagree. I would say it was the best of a human who's living with Jesus. He chose, I will sacrifice. And it caused hope. So what if we were people who said, I'll sacrifice. I know who I am. I know know whose I am. I I can put that aside and I can think about you first. I can lift you up and not feel bad about it. You can actually, you can work yourself out of a job and get a new job, right? First story. Second story. Same world, same war. There's a man named Yehiel Denur, and he was also in a concentration camp. It's about those who need mercy. Uh, So he was on trial. There was a trial for the war crimes from World War II. And there was the trial for Adolf Eichmann. He was the mastermind of the final solution. So he was the one who came up with the plan to murder millions of people. And he had to execute him. This man had to be on the stand as the witness against him. 
And so as he did, as he got on the stand and saw him, he just broke down. And just, I mean, just broke down. And afterwards they said, why? He said, well, I just remember, I remembered what it was like. But later, he was doing an interview and they said, what happened there? And he said, you know, when I looked at the one from which all this evil came, I saw myself in him. And I thought, what does he mean? He, he didn't cause them. He didn't kill millions of people. What's he talking about? I think he saw the same hate that he saw inside of him was formed inside of him. He wanted to kill him probably. He did not want to forgive him. He was maybe so bitter, so angry that he saw himself in him and it just wrecked him. He recognized his need for mercy in a pretty a wild situation, right? So that story is there is freedom to be had when we understand that Jesus came with an intention to model humility by giving up his life, the ultimate sacrifice for every single one of us. And we can live free we can share that with everyone else. Who doesn't want to be around somebody who's always saying, I'm with you. Let's, encouraging you. I've been, I read about Barnabas a lot recently. Barnabas, that guy is like the secret to the church. He was just going place to place in Acts, just lifting people up, uh, letting people go in front of him. He was just encouraging. He was looking for new things the Lord was doing because he was so humble. He came to serve what if we were all people who just came to serve? Not because we earn anything from God from doing it. He did it. We didn't have to do anything. But we can do it because he did it. It's a response to that level of, of, of sacrifice. Let's read it one more time. Invite the band up. Three times. Three prayers. Read it three times. I hope the Lord has something in your heart. I hope you hear his heart. Right? Father, help us to understand. Help us to live from what you did. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, I pray for a recognition of our need for mercy. I pray you break open our hearts. And as they're broken open, we recognize our need, we recognize your love. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I pray for those in this room who perhaps are learning about what you did for the first time. Or maybe they've heard, but they haven't, it hasn't taken root. I pray it takes root this morning that they would cry out for mercy and they would move into eternal life with you. They would get to come home. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
as a ransom for many.